everybody, and welcome to the Cana Rinse Podcast, Volume 5, Issue 222. You can play along with Cana Rinse Volume 5, and our next five issues of the podcast will include the games Titanfall, after that Jamestown Legend of the Lost Colony, following that Golden Axe, then it's Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch, and after that we return to the world of Link and Zelda with the Oracle of Ages and Seasons duo. Head to canarince.com for articles and features and reviews and links to our forum, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel. And if you enjoy what we do, there are a number of ways you can support us these days. We do now have a Patreon uh, everything remains free to everyone, but if any of you feel that you uh, would like to contribute towards all that we put out there, the many, many hours of podcasts, both this and Sound of Play, uh, you can contribute via the Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash canarince, a dollar a month or whatever you think, a one-off payment and then cancel. Uh, everything is incredibly gratefully received. It helps us uh, pay for hosting fees, uh, improved equipment and so on and so forth. If you prefer to get something tangible in return for any hard-earned cash uh, you you know, are kind enough to send our way, we have a shop too. Uh, and as of today, at the time of recording, the 12th of May, there are a couple of new t-shirt designs uh, at our spreadshirt.co.uk shop, uh, including one featuring the new Sound of Play logo, co-designed by, uh, by Ryan here and Jay, and uh, in honour of our new weekly Sound of Play music podcast. So uh, don't forget to tune into that one as well. Sound of Play is now every Wednesday. Cana Rinse is every Sunday. Please review and rate them on whatever your podcasting platform of choice and do subscribe to both, even if you don't get round to listening to every single thing we put out, every podcast, every Sound of Play, every Cana and Rinse, every download helps us and... Um, makes us feel like we're speaking to people we don't know if you're deleting it it's fine joining me leon cox in issue 222 are ryan Heyman. you've met with a terrible fate haven't you apparently so and mikhail croder tingle tingle kula limpa and i just thought of that right now <laughs> <laughs> you are dressed like that for the recording so yeah exactly magic words you came up with yourself don't steal them no <laughs> Uh, yeah, Tingle actually is is not some. I was meant I meant to just put a note in the list of things to cover. Uh, Tingle is one of the things. Um, I've never been quite sure exactly what Tingle's all about. Is he an alcoholic? Is he a sort of slightly uh, derogatory uh, depiction of a homosexual man? I've never been quite uh, clear on that. Anyway, Zelda no Densetsu Majura no Kamen, or as we know it in the English-speaking parts of the world, The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. This was, of course, made by Nintendo EAD. It came out uh, two years after Ocarina of Time that we covered a month ago, one of the famous and most uh, highly regarded games of all time in terms of review scores, certainly. Uh, Majora's Mask was the first game where A.G. Aonuma officially, properly, fully took over the reins, although he had the reins for a lot of the time on Ocarina, but Miyamoto uh, was more heavily involved, I understand. But Yoshiaki Koizumi was also uh, credited as a director on Majora's Mask. Uh, the writers include Miyamoto, of course, along with Mitsuhiro Takano and Koizumi. Uh, all of the music was composed by of course Koji Kondo except for three tracks all the battle tracks or three of the battle tracks by Toru Minigishi and 
rather like uh, the predecessor, Ocarina of Time, the N64 game. This was also, despite the experience with the previous game, intended to be a release for the 64DD. But with the failure and lack of a Western launch of that machine, uh, it ended up being put onto a cartridge, but this time utilising the uh, booster pack, the 4 meg of extra RAM, uh, that in some games didn't necessarily help things because it allowed uh, higher resolution, but the N64 still wasn't capable of rendering a faster frame rate in a higher resolution. But in this game, it was used for various graphical effects and, and niceties that made it a slightly uh, lusher looking game with slightly more varied textures and so on than, than its, uh, its predecessor. It was released, as I say, for the N64 uh, in... 2000 now there was a longer gap between the japanese release this time uh, and the western releases it was april 2000 so only about a year and a half after ocarina of time whereas uh, we had to wait till the autumn winter in america and europe uh, the gamecube version arrived as part of the collector's edition the legend of zelda collector's edition in uh, late 02 and early 03 uh and that version is notoriously a bit glitchy, especially when it comes to sound. Uh, that's the main, the main issue with it. There are some quite annoying sound glitches as you traverse from area to area. It basically functions, though, happily, although the Wii Virtual Console version uh, that was released in the spring of 2009 is based on that GameCube version uh, with its higher resolution and progressive scan. Uh, they fixed the audio bug. Uh, unsurprisingly, because of the existence of the 3DS version that came out February last year, the original N64 ROM has not been released on the Wii U. Will it now? I suspect not, but you never know. The review scores for this game were, by most measures, extremely successful. Uh, from 33 reviews, Game Rankings has, has it averaging 91.95%, which sounds great, but it does sort of highlight the fact that Ocarina of Time was nudging 99%. Um, so a year and a half had passed. Uh, maybe that was part of it. Maybe people were moving on. Maybe people just didn't quite like, like it or love it as much as Ocarina, but we'll get into that. The 3D version that came out, as I say, just over a year ago now on the 3DS uh, was reviewed by almost 60 outlets and averaged a uh, sparkling 90.39%, which is not bad for what is at its core, uh, well, it was a 15-year-old game, um, but we'll discuss later just how many changes, and there are some quite significant changes this time around to the 3DS version. Uh, the cartridge, I believe, sold 3.36 million copies worldwide. The That's the N64. Uh, I don't have sales figures for the 3DS version. I guess it's probably still ticking over nicely. Now, our own histories with the game. Uh, we'll start in the land of Holland, and uh, Mikhail, I assume you got this the same release date as we did over here in the UK, but uh, were you there in late 2000? I was there, yeah. Uh, it was a, was a interesting time. My uh, The woman who I uh, eventually ended up marrying was, uh, was coming over from faraway lands and oh. uh, spent, those, uh, spent a couple of months with me. And she couldn't understand what I was getting so excited about leading up to the game's <laughs> release. <laughs> and, uh, she also couldn't understand that I was willing to uh, put down a lot of money for uh, for a single video game. And in, in that regard, not much has changed. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, Familiar tale. Yeah. And, um, 
this was two years after Ocarina of Time, which le left a huge impression on me, of course, as it did with most people that played it when it came out. And um, I was uh, I was looking very much forward to playing another Zelda game. I start, sort of started this habit with the Ocarina of Time to buy a strategy uh, guide that came with it. Not so much hmm. to keep on my lap while playing, but more as something to, to have on the side and to... Uh, browse through after playing uh, sort of as a tourist guide and see see things what uh, that i might have missed yeah um, interesting but i must admit that um i used the guide a lot more during play uh than i did with <laughs> ocarina of time and yeah. i think the uh, uh i mean I, I don't want to get ahead of myself too much but i think the uh the main reason for for that was uh, the, the pressure of the time limit. So I didn't mm -hmm. want to play through a whole dungeon again just to find some uh, stray, stray fairies that I might have missed out yes. on the first time. Yeah. So um, yeah, but uh, uh, that's I'll I'll leave that for now. Have you been back to it uh, in on any other formats or returned to your original cartridge? Yeah, I returned to the original cartridge uh, end of last year. Uh, got my kids to sit uh, sit next to me to to play play with it. Um, so freak them out a bit. It did freak them out, yeah. But still, I, I thought like Good. maybe this is not really <laughs> suited for them then. But still, they were very curious about, uh, very fascinated about what what would happen next. So, I bet. I bet. so we did continue our playthrough a little bit here and then. But yeah, since I wanted to involve them in it, it wasn't always very suitable. I didn't have much time to play the game all the way through. But we got just uh, I think more through more than a quarter up until now. Okay, so you haven't played the 3DS version? No, no, no. I, oh, okay. Yeah, it'll be. I could look forward to telling you about uh, about that then. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Ryan, how about you? I did not play this on the N64. Actually, back when Ocarina of Time came out, I I don't know if I was just jealous that I didn't have an N64 and I couldn't play it because everybody was talking about it, and so I had a pretty strong like negative reaction to Zelda for a little while. Like, oh, this series mm. can't be all that good, you know, the the way that, that kids are <laughs> when yeah. we can't have something. And, and, and many and many adults. Oh, yes, uh, that's true. In the <laughs> video games community kids especially. Heart. Yes. Um, yes. But I, over the years, I, I grew like a really strong affinity for this game's aesthetic and for Skull Kid. And I have a whole bunch of, you know, I showed it off on the Twitter this morning. I've got uh, statues and, and paintings and stuff of the beautiful uh, of Skull Kid and the General Majora's Mask set up. And so I really kind of fell in love with aspects of this game because I do like, um, you know, it's been known over the, the years that I've been on Canada Rinse that I, I have a strong affinity for this kind of supernatural horror and stuff like that. And this type of real layered uh, psychological horror um, but at the same time the persistent um, time limit kind of put me off uh, ever trying it uh, and, and the same kind of thing mm -hmm. with you know I didn't care for it in Dead Rising I didn't care for it in Pikmin and so this this kind of thing just really yeah. gets under my skin a little bit uh, and huh. so I was always intimidated to give it a go until the 3DS version came out and I thought you know, they did a good job with the Ocarina of Time remake. Uh, it, it'll give me a reason to pick up one of those new 3DSs, which I got the Majora's Mask version of that as well. And As did I. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a nice looking machine. It's beautiful. And I, uh, yeah, just decided to pick that up on day one, the special edition of that, and uh, played played it through with the idea that 
even if a time limit was not to my liking, they've probably made it a little bit easier in the years that have gone by because of the way that gaming has generally gone. And so that was my my way in. There are a lot of tweaks, which we'll talk about later. It's, it's really substantially quite different, but uh, we'll come on to that. Um, I obviously uh, was older than you guys, I'm nearly always the oldest on the podcast, unless Jay is here. Yeah, so I was uh, 28 when this came out. Um, so, I, you know, I had disposable income and uh, and I was there day one. Yeah, it was a no brainer. Um, but I have, as many people, for reasons that will become very clear and that we've even already touched upon, I what they call bounced off it. A number of times um, I started playing it. I adored the opening. I loved the music, what I heard. I loved certain elements to it. I loved how dark it was, how creepy it was. I loved the concept of the three day thing, but it made me anxious. It was not a relaxing experience. I did not like the idea of going back to redo things, as you said, Mikhail. And slowly but surely, I sort of put it down. It's odd because like you, Ryan, I consider myself a fan, but up until today, I'd never finished it. I'd never finished the final boss off. Now it's taken the 3D version like you. I bought the new 3DS XL with Majora, Majora's Mask. It's, it's, it's the most beautiful handheld. It's my favorite handheld console I've ever owned. Um, it came with Majora's Mask pre-installed and, um, even though I've had it for a, about a year or whatever. Uh, this was the, uh, I've just been playing it over the last month or so. And yeah, I've spent about a good 40 plus hours in it, I think. And again, as I've done with every Zelda game we've covered in the series so far, I've done most of it, but not all of it. Before we continue, I want to uh, actually offer a spoiler warning uh, for this one. Uh, we don't always, I think people know by now that we talk about games from the start to the end um, and some games aren't really that spoilable. I'd say even most Zelda games aren't that spoilable. But if somehow you've got to 2016 without knowing what goes down in Majora's Mask, um, I would recommend that you play it before listening to this podcast. So yeah, let's uh, start at the beginning again. We talked about the Ocarina's fairly now iconic um attract mode and title screen um i love this one at least as much in its own way i've watched it hundreds of times on just letting it run on console uh watching it on youtube um and just sitting there with it going over and over on on my 3ds um it's i've played them i've shared the music before on sound of play um and it starts with the uh sort of jaunty but slightly melancholic town clock town sort of theme um and by the end it turns into the pure terror of skull kid wearing the majora's mask um this sort of chaotic cacophony um yeah i love this intro uh it's one of my favorite certainly one of my favorite in engine sort of uh, game intros of all time and it totally sets the scene and makes you absolutely desperate to get into the world and see what's going to happen how about you guys talking about my second playthrough with the with the two kids it's something they were uh, very keen on seeing over and over again as well right yeah yeah it's this yeah. Uh, exa exactly like you described it it's this pleasant almost but slightly melancholic tune and you see all the different scenes throughout the land and especially clock town and then music turns all eerie and you hear these sort of chiming noises and you see Skull Kid standing on top of a uh, uh, clock tower with his mm. body language is very twitchy and unnerving as well. That's my favorite thing about his design is that he, he has kind of like puppet-like movements. And yeah. 
there's something that is really kind of thematically appropriate about that since he's being manipulated by this evil mask. And really, like, he himself is not evil necessarily. He's just kind of a, he could be a little mischievous at times, but mostly he's just kind of lonely, just wants a friend, which also kind of reflects a lot of Majora's own experiences, as we'll learn at the very end of the game. But Mm. uh, this idea that the evil that he's exhibiting is just kind of an amplification of his natural tendencies just twisted by this this evil presence that's come into his life really almost kind of gives across this uh the horror trope of the like the demon that possesses a small child or something like mm. this this corrupting presence has has come into this otherwise pretty benign character and has you know set up what will eventually lead to the end of the world unless it's diverted right from the off the tone is set as it was with ocarina um and uh, you know the in the interactive intro cutscenes, uh or the you know you break into the action in between non-interactive bits of the cutscenes. the opening segments of the game um continue the tone although that you know there's some sort of slightly uh you know humorous elements to it tattle and tail the two fairies have sort of uh, almost you know three stooges style banter there's only two of them aware of this um and skull kid toots away on the ocarina um but again the 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 fact that the game is is darker than ocarina is is such an obvious thing uh to say now everyone knows it but it I was watching the intro again, at the, the you know, uh, today and right from the off, you know, you've, you, you're on a pony at the start. The game takes place uh, supposedly a few months after the events of uh, Ocarina when you've won as Child Link. Um, but here you are with baby Epona looking for Navi the fairy in the forest, but Epona gets taken away from you. That's scary. You get thrown down a massive hole via a load of sort of slightly... Um, psychedelic uh, images uh, and then you get transformed into this Deku in this most painful manner um, which also takes place in a uh, in a in a sort of slightly like a an acid flashback type of cutscene and it's everything about it like it sends you into this really dark twisted place and and you know there are comparisons to to Lewis Carroll's Alice books playing Majora's Mask two years after Ocarina of Time there were a lot, a lot of hints in Ocarina of Time of equally sinister things, like mm-hmm. gravestones with inscriptions speaking of uh, blood-stained history of the royal family, uh, the whole yeah. the whole graveside area, the 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 horrors down the well with the dead hand and uh, and things like mm-hmm. that. There was, uh, I think, the, the the seeds were kind of sown for something more more offbeat and sinister. To me, uh, my theory's always been um that this game is it it feels a bit like an an uh, ag Eonima's auteur debut um i i feel like he would he must have been incredibly daunted by having to take over the reins from miyamoto on the zelda franchise it must have been terrifying mm. and i think that that's reflected in the game along with his normal existential anxieties i think with the fact that it was uh pre-millennium when this was happening and there was i know it seems comical now because it as it turned out it was just another year but there was millennial tension there was millennial anxiety not i'm not just talking about the millennium bug i'm just talking about the you know the fander siècle kind of uh the vibe that was that was going on mm. um there's elements there's there's discussion of climate change in the game um and it feels like that 
plus all the you know all the time pressure that is so off-putting to so many people and in according to others makes the game i feel like the whole tone of it was is just a manifestation of aonima's self uh, as we headed towards the year 2000 but there's uh, yeah there's some other theories out there which as i say we'll get to which are uh, actually more about the the the, the text and the subtext of the game which are which are at least as compelling um but i but that they don't necessarily detract from from my thoughts either uh, ryan anything on that I like that this is more of a self-contained adventure, kind of like Link's mm. Awakening, where a lot of the Zelda series has been kind of retelling the same hero story over and over. And especially past uh, or post Ocarina of Time, a lot of games have been accused of just being, you know, remakes of Ocarina of Time with a few aesthetic details changed here and there. And mm. it is nice to see a game that uses the Zelda framework to tell a entirely different type of story rather than just going on this grand hero's journey because you're not even really that much of a hero in this game. Like you do heroic things, but then you mm. reset time to uh and they never happened and you you um you hold on to the reward for doing them, but you know the people are reset back into they're in a miserable state beforehand and, and none of that really carries over. Um, and so a lot of the, you know, this is not a grand adventure like the previous Zelda games had been. And I think if they had gone on a grand adventure, especially just a year after Ocarina of Time, people would have made a direct comparison between this and Ocarina of Time and it might have, you know, come up wanting. But uh, mm. just the fact that this was something different, something smaller, I like... Uh, yeah, not necessarily the stakes were smaller, like the, the moon's about to crash into the earth, but it is really more based around individual relationships and individual characters. Like it is the Mass Effect 2 of the series. Yeah, uh, it, it feels like a more personal quest, both in terms of the protagonist and the surrounding cast. Um, yeah, it actually, I was thinking about this in terms of having watched uh, the recent uh, Captain America Civil War, which, even though it's kind of ups the scale in some ways, feels more about actual people, whereas the previous Avengers and, and Captain America films have felt more kind of broad strokes. Um, and I think for, for for people of a certain mindset, that, that actually helps to get a handle on the importance of the events. Um, we'll hear more about that later as well. Yeah, something that I've always thought uh you mentioned Link's Awakening there is that if um if Link's Awakening was the dreamlike uh, answer to Link to the Past this is the nightmare like version of Ocarina of Time the visuals obviously follow on from Ocarina of Time it uses the same engine um enhanced with the the form ex expansion and another year and a half of development experience on the on the machine from Nintendo's crack in-house team um you know the the Zoras still look the, like the Zoras, and the Gorons still look like the Gorons, and and many of the assets are reused. But overall, again, there is a slightly different um, feel. I think the right from the off talking to the the happy, you know, the mask the the mask seller, you know, and the the way that he animates by shifting wildly from one set of animation frames to another, things like that. Again, it just it's that sense of nightmarishness. Um, mm, yeah. I consider that as part of the art design as much as it is um, a sort of technical thing. How do you chaps feel about the the overall look of the game? Yeah, it's uh, it's decidedly more colorful than Ocarina of Time. Um, yeah. The colors are very saturated, but the interesting thing is that it doesn't make for a very bright 
feeling. So it's yeah, the the blacks mm-hmm. are, are are deeper and darker. There are deep purples, uh, very saturated dark greens, and it's also amplified by the uh, concept art of the game, which is uh, very different from the concept art for Ocarina of Time. If you mm-hmm. look at the game's manual and the box art of the original game, there's all these. Uh, yeah, very very um, stark contrasts and, and accentuated shading uh, going on. Yeah. Uh, some of the, the the masks in the concept arts that don't actually appear in the game are very insane looking. Uh, yeah, and they remind me of a of a Belgian comic that's uh, called Casper. That's probably not going to say anything of it, but it it was also a, a story about a bizarre carnival and and people wearing masks and not okay. and not living up to who they really are and hiding and uh, basically a, a kind of a, a masquerade story. One of the things about the art direction in this game, um, the reuse of characters from Ocarina of Time was a little distracting from time to time. It does mm-hmm. play into that kind of nightmare aesthetic in the sense yeah. that like you are having memories of people that you've met before and they're being, you know, repurposed in different ways. But, uh, and, and so I don't really have strong opinions on whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, but it, it is noticeable. One thing about the art direction that I do really like, and I'll refer people to um, a game theory spinoff show, Culture Shock, I believe it was, has a, a better explanation of this than I was able to give, but uh, that a lot of the art direction actually drew from African art, which you don't mm-hmm. see a lot of in video games because video games are traditionally made in, uh, you know, North America, Europe, and Japan, um, yeah. in uh, a little bit more of Eastern Asia in the later, later years here. But yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I, I guess, particularly noticeable in the bosses that you fight throughout the game. They're yeah, very definitely. African-inspired, yeah. and the, um, the music that plays is almost kind of like offensive African stereotypes at times. But uh, I think this idea of masks and, you know, putting on a mask, giving you powers and giving you a a different personality and kind of taking on the spirit of the owner of that mask previously um, plays nicely into a lot of African mythology and the use of um, the African color palettes and uh, just design aesthetic was, was really strong and seemed kind of uh, kind of comfortably alien for somebody who doesn't get yeah. a lot of exposure to that culture necessarily. Yeah, on on your first point there, I mean, I'd, I'd say the we we saw the the sort of repurposing of characters in slightly different forms with sometimes with slightly different names, sometimes with not, and we saw we saw that in Link's Awakening and even in Ocarina and, you know, and even in the sense of you get the characters who are basically analogs for Mario and Luigi and things like that. Um, so it, it kind of, yeah, it makes sense to me that, again, you know, people should reappear, especially if some of the theories about what's actually happening in Majora's Mask are true. Um, and, yeah, as regards to the the African influence on the art, I definitely think it's definitely there, in certainly in the stone temple and the, the architecture there. The um, the look of the giants definitely um, remind me very much of, of things I used to uh, see in, in museums as a kid, you know, that were brought back by uh, colonials from from the subcontinent and all that sort of thing. And um, yeah, I mean, like the first boss, Adolwa looks like a sort of shamanistic uh, uh, figure. And yeah, there's sort of chanting and, and quotes, tribal drums and things like that. So yeah, and again, I mean, you know, video games in general, Japanese games often sort of bring these disparate 
influences and, and pull them all together. And um, in this case, it's it's coherently incoherent, I suppose, I, I would say, in that it, it feels, again, it feels off kilter and unsettling and discombobulating, but also, um, but that's kind of the point. Yeah, I, j- I just wanted to go back uh, very briefly to Ryan's point over the uh, reuse of, uh, of character models as well. Um, of course, at first it comes across as a, a cheap shortcut to, uh, to cut down on development time. But yeah. uh, I, I wouldn't say in the end that I, I personally would feel mixed about it. I think it really succeeds in uh, delivering the overall tone uh, just for the reasons you stated. So, yeah, you, you get to see these familiar faces, but, hey, these are different people. They have different names and sometimes even completely different characters. So it it's one of the main things that lends the game its sort of David Lynchian feel uh, of, <laughs> of uh, nightmare stuff. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and on that note, um, we must talk about the music. I'll bring in a uh, correspondent from the forum, Chase210, at this point, who says, It's so downbeat and kind of tragic, but not in an incredibly overt way. One of my favourite pieces of music, not just in this game, but video games in general, is the theme that plays when you successfully summon the giants to stop the moon. Majora's Mask does that all the time. It plays those kinds of music over things we traditionally think of as happy moments, i.e. beating a boss, saving one of the giants for the first time, and it's totally in keeping with the rest of the game. As in, it's a temporary victory, we'll have to reverse shortly by warping back. Um, But yes, uh, I was saying in the Ocarina of Time podcast that I'd sort of, while I'd never not been a fan of the soundtrack, going back to the game sort of made me remember or, or or reassess almost how much I liked it, how, how, how great I thought some of the music was. But I've always thought the Majora's Mask soundtrack was astonishing and going back just cements that. Um, some of the pieces in this game blow my mind quite a bit. Um, the uh, the final day tune, um, some of the, 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 uh, the pieces that play when you're in the uh, sort of the four main areas before you've kind of freed them of their curse, um, which uh, which is a, a tune that's reprised with different instruments. Um, the observatory music is just achingly beautiful. Hearing some of the reused tunes, like the, uh, what is it, the Song of Storms, the, the old Windmill Hut song, mm-hmm. uh, something yeah. like that felt like it had such a, a firm rooting in that one particular scene that it felt a little weird to be hearing it again in this game but right. um yeah just that main theme is so kind of playfully sinister which plays into the um general aesthetic of the game so well that it, it's a, a really stunning piece and the rest of the original compositions for the game are uh, are very strong as well i was also happy um that um the the different area for the four different areas had their own kind of soundtrack because as soon as i entered terminal field i heard i heard the um you know the main zelda overworld theme and it somehow yep. didn't re- really fit the game for me uh, mm. so when it's I, a slightly different version but yeah 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 fortunately you don't spend tons of time in in terminal field in this game exactly overall. so yeah. I, yeah i wasn't too myself myself i wasn't too sad when it didn't make its uh, uh return in ocarina of time um and yeah, as I said, I was uh, very happy that the different, the four different uh, um, wind directions had a, 
um, yeah, all, all very different um, and interesting themes going on. And uh, yeah, the, the song of healing is, uh, I think, is astonishing. And the uh, Oath to Order as well. Just, yeah, I absolutely love this soundtrack. Also, the song that the giants sing, I, I don't know mm. if they're singing or if that's just kind of the way that they talk. There's a lot of just inherent in nature musicality in this game. And so, you know, that um, whether they're singing or whether that's just kind of their natural tone uh, is interesting. It sounds almost kind of like pained, um, mm, mm, almost kind of totally, uncomfortable yeah. for them to be expressing, uh, which, I mean, obviously there's there's themes of that when Link is putting on the masks as well. And uh, there's just a lot of, it doesn't shy away from the kind of painfulness of all the things that are happening here. And, and the fact that the giants speak so slowly, which is something that happens a lot in video games for uh, uh, to represent kind of older creatures or, or mysterious creatures or supernatural creatures. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll talk about that again in uh, the Dark Dreams Don't Die episode coming up later this year. But uh, yeah, they, they speak like way slower than I've ever seen anything speak in a video <laughs> game before. And, you know, they, they don't have a ton of dialogue and so it doesn't get annoying necessarily, but it's uh, it definitely kind of catches you off guard. But just their whole presentation... Um, kind of starting with their music and then working towards the way that they uh, converse with Link is so interesting. Certain uh, facets of this game do give me a, a Shadow of the Colossus vibe. It was five yeah, years definitely. before Shadow of the Colossus. I wonder if it was an influence in, in some ways, certain certain elements talking about the sadness of events that are normally mm. triumphant, that sort of thing. Um, there's a lot of giants and, uh, uh, yeah, and a general roaming around uh, a doomed land in, on a horse kind of thing going on. Um, mechanically, obviously, uh, it carries on where ocarina of time left off they didn't make sweeping substantial uh changes to uh your control of link or your interaction with the world and certainly in the n64 version the menu system is very similar um link is a bit more agile is a bit nippier especially when wearing the bunny hood which makes you 68 percent faster uh fact fans um but also, he just does nice little things like he does a little uh, leap and a hop and a spin when he when he jumps from uh, place to place. I think that was in the N64 as well, wasn't it? He does a little somersault from. Yeah. Um, but I think there's even more of that um, in, in the 3DS version. Um, and obviously there's, you know, you get a different set of items. You remain as a child link for virtually the whole game. Uh, well, except when you're being one of the other uh, creatures of course with a different mask but we'll come on to that uh, but there's no just warping through time but I suppose one of the interesting things is that you know the, the previous game was called Ocarina of Time but actually this game the Ocarina is absolutely the most you know powerful item in the game I mean it's 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 essential without that uh, the world is doomed um, and I suppose you could argue that for Ocarina as well but you see what I mean it's like it is your it is your time traveling machine yeah and that's set up right from the beginning so the, yeah. the, the first thing you have to do is within three days absolutely get that Ocarina back whatever the cost one thing that uh, immediately pops into my mind is the um, the Goron role, basically making poor Epona almost uh, obsolete. That's true, actually. Yeah. Um, once once you've got the Goron mask, um, you can career about the place, killing stuff as you go. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you can use it in in Termina Field. Yeah. Just pick up green bottles. Just go, uh, just roll through those yeah. bushes, and you keep can keep on going. That's true. That's true. 
Yeah, well, let's let's yeah, let's talk about the other masks in uh, as we're doing so. Um, as as you go through the game uh, and you go to the appropriate areas, the uh, the coast is in the west, and the Zoras live there. Um, that's slightly different to some of the other Zeldas. Um, up north, you've got mountains, of course. In this game, it starts off cold and snowy. It's a gorgeous snow area with a chilling tune and frost everywhere. Um, but again, you know, this place feels doomed. It's not just snowy and quaint like uh, like the village in Nino Kuni. This is like it's frostbitten and everything is grinding to a halt because there's no fire and food and things like this. Um, you get the Goron uh, mask. So you basically become Darunia, uh, a, a former senior Goron. Um, it's called uh, with... Darmani in this game. Darmani, sorry. Yes, of course. Very good point. Uh, yeah, getting my Zeldas muddled up. Um with, for Zora, you become uh, the lead guitarist in a band who uh, who gets washed up on the beach. Um, you take over from his dying form, basically. Um, and, of course, the Deku you get from the start, and that's that's like a curse. Um, but actually, you know, Deku, Deku Scrub Link has, has his own set of abilities. I think the thing that stays with me through all this time, and you can skip it once you've seen it once by tapping the A button, but the transformation sequences are genuinely disturbing. Yeah. What did your kids make of these, Mikhail? Because I I still think these are actually mo- more frightening than most horror movies. Yeah, they uh, they covered their faces uh, behind their hands. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, He's in such agony. Yeah, you you hear uh, this sort of a uh, a sound of vi- it almost sounds like vines growing, like real time yeah. grass. It's it's like the the mask is attaching itself to to Link's face, and then there's the. <gasps> And then the, yeah. the, I'm, I'm not going to shout right now, but uh, then sure, you hear the, the, no, the it, scream of agony. Yeah, his his eyes bulge. He yeah. can't. It's like he can't breathe. It's like it's burrowing into his skull. Yeah, and and he's like, and every single time, which and as as you go later in the game, of course, there are there are entire areas which revolve around you swapping between the multiple masks. It's like you're putting him through this torture. Um, it's such a it's such a striking thing, not only in in how incredibly well it's animated and performed, but in a game that again you know ostensibly people would look at and think ah it's that you know it's that cute fantasy game for kids, but it's really dark, it's really horrible. But <laughs> I like it for that. Ryan, how how do you feel about these masks and their transformations? Uh, I like that. It's always exciting to get one of the main masks because they give you access to not only like a uh, you know different abilities and stuff but just a different style of of movement and i always uh, just really salivate over the littlest tiniest little things like just uh, being able to move a little bit faster or having a slightly different Mm -hmm. gait to my walk and all of that is uh, just really interesting because it does make you feel like you are transforming into a different species instead of just putting on a mask um yeah Absolutely. And then some of the masks are, uh, some of the kind of non-vital masks mm. have quite interesting designs as well. I, I, the one that really stands out for me is the uh, the Awake All Night mask or whatever it's called. Oh, that just God, looks that's like horrific. A, yeah, it looks like that uh, clockwork orange um, yep. device that, you know, you strap to your face just to keep your 
eyes open the whole time, and it's just it's hor- mm. it's horrific. But and and what about and what about the dancing man mask the, with the one where it's like a blank face with a tiny little mm. shrunken yeah. head just yeah, coming yeah. out of the forehead? That's so <laughs> so messed up. I was going to mention that as well. Yeah, and and, and uh, Ryan mentioning Clockwork Orange all of a sudden. Uh, brought me associations that there's a a dodgy milk bar in this game as well yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, and yeah i mean the the it's absolutely um it's absolutely apparent what the milk bar is and and it's interesting because we've had other um sort of elements of jrpgs uh sanitized for local you know to localize them to keep their certificates down final fantasy bars being yeah cafes that sort of thing but here i think that it was a milk bar in the original but it's just like it's a milk bar wink you know and one of the things you can buy there is this uh basically super power up juice for 200 rupees which means that you don't have to recharge your magic until you reset time so um yeah it's clearly it's clearly a a a drinking hole and it's where uh, a couple of the the people go to die basically they you know uh, as the world is coming to an end they they go to the milk bar and that's where they're gonna you know gonna see their last moments out drink away the pain yeah, yeah, milk, milk away the pain. Um, <laughs> there's also uh, a number. I, I probably don't know them all, but I certainly stumbled across a few things along the way, and uh, you know, read up about a few others. But there's there are so many things to try out because you, I think it, is it thirty masks in the end. The, t- the full complement. It's around thirty. Sounds about right. And most of them have a different reaction from most of the different characters in the game depending on you know who what you're wearing when you speak to them but not only that but there are things like secret effects um so there's one mask the stone mask which basically makes things ignore you most of the time so you can sort of get out of a a lot of the combat that's a hard one to get because i think that's part of is that part of anju and cafe's side quest but there's also stuff like the one you get from the grave like the mummy's mask the Gib- gibdo mask um if you wear that when there's uh re-deads around they just dance instead of jumping on you and 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 hurting you so you go into a room there's four re-deads in one of the last uh temples um normally that room could be a massive pain but you just put on these four uh put on this uh, Gibdo mask, this, these bandages, and they just dance, and you just kill them. They don't even respond. And, th- and there's there's various things like that. I think one of the boss fights. Um, what's the name of the mask that makes the chickens ter- uh, chicks turn into chickens? That you do the march around the garden. Um, I think it's the Bremen, Bremen mask. Bremen mask. That's it. Yeah. Um, if you wear that in one of the boss fights, you can make the boss follow you around the room. Apparently, like dancing to your tune, kind of thing. So yeah, there's there's various things like that. Uh, as usual, you know, it's absolutely stuffed to the gills with, uh, you know, Easter eggs, treats and, and nuggets. I think the, 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 the core of most of the rest of the discussion um, is, has to be around the, the, the time, the three-day cycle and the Song of Time and how that works. Um, I'm going to bring in correspondent from the forum, Andrew Brown here, um, who says there are two kinds of people in the world those who love Majora's Mask and those who never found the inverted song of time. This is hyperbolic, of course, but I think it is demonstrative of how Majora's Mask's density is both its greatest strength, but also its greatest obstacle. There's so much to do in the world of Termina, and all of it quite literally cannot be done in a single three-day cycle. The inverted song of time triples the amount the player is permitted in each cycle, giving them much more time to penetrate that density. 
But in the N64 version, the only way they know the song exists is via a hint given by a talking scarecrow in the Clocktown shop, a character the, play- the player may never speak to in a location they may never venture into. Majora's Mask reveals its secrets wonderful and sundry to those players willing to explore its nooks and crannies rather than follow its charted path. The inverted song of time is in one of these crannies and is the best tool towards this end. So pity the poor player who never finds it, but do not condemn them as they have been put in the bad spot of being cast into a maze without the tools to navigate it. The inverted song of time is so essential to most players of Majora's Mask, it begs the question, why is the slowed down speed not the default and the three times speed the obtusely hidden song? It wouldn't make Majora's Mask any better, but it would make it more accessible if such was the case. Alas, it is not, and we are left with a fantastic but inaccessible final product. Would that it were, because this inaccessibility exacerbates Majora's Mask's other big issue, repetition. Owing to its conceit of requiring the player to experience the final three days of a doomed world over and over, this creates an intensely macabre atmosphere. But that atmosphere can be undercut if the player is forced to repeat their actions because they ran out of time before achieving a goal. Even I still experience the frustration of tedium in spite of the high regard that I hold for Majora's Mask. In my most recent playthrough of the game, I got hung up on the wedding side quest. This is already an incredibly frustrating quest as, for whatever baffling reason, the player is required to complete it twice to get every reward from it. This would be frustrating enough, but I was forced to do it a third time when an NPC did not appear in the proper place for some arbitrary reason. I always dread doing the wedding side quest. I see it as a tiny window into what the game must be like for those who don't already know how to penetrate its density. Whether you're playing the N64 original, the cursed GameCube port, or the marvellous 3DS remake, it isn't where I would suggest any player begin their Zelda experience, but it's definitely where I would suggest they end it. Discuss, gentlemen. Yeah, that wedding side quest, that's uh, that's really something. I, I do agree that making you do it multiple times is a little uh, not super friendly, although I think that the mm. multiple endings that you can get from that side quest are both worth experiencing. Like I, I like the the ending where you don't tell the couple to meet up again, and it's just the, uh, you know, the kid sitting there in front of the wedding dress and saying, like, uh, this this could have gone so well, but you know, I guess yeah. I guess it never will. And like that's such a interesting, poignant scene. Um, I, I guess like you you'd have to do it twice because you couldn't have that and the proper ending. But um, yeah, it's just it's an interesting uh, interesting whole set a series of events. But how did you feel about the time pressure yourself, Ryan? Um, it, it is something that you know anecdotally and we have those anecdotes yeah. uh, to come that that does put people off and i know it definitely put me off finishing the game now after a while and because again you know i had this show to do to to finally commit to doing it it was like right i am going to get on top of this and there did come a, a point where i felt like i had mastery of this domain and you have to kind of and again maybe this is philosophically apposite you have to accept that the end will come over and over and over Mm -hmm. again you have to get not get you have to unhung unhang up yourself (laughs) you get what i mean Uh on on the idea that you can't you know you can't save everyone forever until you finish the game when arguably you can or you do up until that point there is that unanswered existential philosophical question which is 
every time you travel back in time is one of our correspondents asks this, is the world coming with you or are you repeatedly dooming all these people to their fate? Mm. Now, they all have a different response to their fate and that goes into one of the theories we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but it took for me to really finally on the 3DS version, which does make things smoother and I know there are purists who consider it too far. You know, it's like part of the purist's Majora's Mask experience is the challenge of it, the difficulty, the the pain of losing things and, 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 and all that, the, the impermanence of all. But there came a point where I suddenly, like, I, I fully got my head around what goes and what stays, what is permanent and what is not permanent. So mm. every time I made any progress, I something permanent, and I'm not just talking about rupees in the bank, um, that's like one of the... the the, the most trifling yeah. matters. But anytime you get a mask or a significant item that sticks, it's, it's exactly how, um, not that I'm a, like a, a, a big souls player, but it's exactly how I started to get uh -huh. into demon souls and dark souls and bloodborne. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to die in a bit. I know I'm going to die. I'm going to die over and over again. But if I've got that item, I've got that item. And yep. it, and it's very much the same philosophy. That's how I got through it. But I can totally understand. I was anxious the whole time playing this game, mm. even though I would say I loved it. I think it sets up for some interesting moments in the beginning, especially before you get the ocarina. Uh, it, it gives it a sense of real kind of like weight uh, to what's happening. But um, yeah, as it got to be later in the game, the way that I dealt with it was just to kind of put it out of my mind. Like once I play that inverted song, then I knew that I would generally have long enough to do whatever I needed to do because the game was kind of balanced that way, uh, balanced around that three day. And it was probably even balanced around people who don't know that the inverted song existed in the first place. So I was probably, you know, doing just fine. But um, yeah, I, I, I tried to kind of put it out of my mind. It is one of the things that really put me off because I don't like time limits and especially in yeah. Zelda games. Like I think this game does a pretty good job of making its dungeons fairly readable. Like there are some Zelda games where I've just been beating my head against a wall and, you know, it turns out that you have to bomb some, you know, unmarked yeah. location or throw a pot up against the door. And it's like, when would I have ever figured that out? But in this yeah. game, like I felt like if you sat down and really took your time and, but I mean, more than anything, if you did the entire dungeon in one sitting, then you'd be okay. But if you tried yeah. to do it over multiple sittings, which the 3DS version kind of encourages because it's so easy to just kind of close the clamshell and, and put that game on, on sleep mode, then uh, you're going to have a little bit of a harder time, especially as you get to the like the water dungeon and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. One of the first things to learn is before you tackle a dungeon, go to the dawn of the first day, play the inverted yeah. song of time. You know, the, 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 but, I, but the thing is, I knew that back in the day. You, you were mentioning the Prima Guide, uh, Mikhail. I also bought that. It's the one and only time I've ever bought a game guide with a game, I think. Mm. Um, I recently bought the Street Fighter V book because it's a nice book. But, um, but I bought that guide at the time. I think I must have had an inkling based on what I'd read about the game, having read the reviews, because the game had been out in Japan for, you know, uh, six months or more at this point. I felt like the guide was actually going to be 
an investment. Now, of course, as it turns out, I've ended up finishing the 3DS version, which changes so much that it's less useful, but it's now a nice collectible. But there are secrets to this game that, again, despite I totally agree, Ryan, that the sort of the philosophy of complete obtuseness was definitely starting to become a thing of the past here. Um, virtually everything is is workoutable. The puzzles were more oblique in some ways as well. You know, like you could solve them, but because of all the hoops you have to jump through in terms of time travel and being in the right place at the right time. Mm, yeah. um, but again, we can't overstate how much easier the 3DS version makes your progress because the saving statues, you can now just save at will at a statue. Don't forget yeah. in the original N64 version to save properly, you had to go, you know, you had to restart basically your three-day cycle um and there's the clamshell option as well of course so i I do also like the way that the three-day cycle kind of puts everybody on like a predictable groundhog day kind of loop it's kind of like i've been playing uh the recent hitman game over the past few days and your real sense of power from that game comes from going through a level dozens of times and knowing where everybody's mm. going to be at any specific time. And like Bill Murray in that scene. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. And I mean, ultimately, that comes out to, you know, a hitman, like I'm wanting to murder them. And so, you know, knowing how to separate <laughs> them from their bodyguards so I can drown them in a, in their own vomit. But um, in, in Majora's Mask, it's not quite as uh, quite as evil, but you do get a you do get a sense that you are still kind of manipulating people and you are using knowledge that you shouldn't have to get things from people. And so it's not entirely, you know, uh, not entirely benevolent either. Link's a really dodgy geezer in this game. He cheats. He cheats (laughs) a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, He cheats at games. He cheats at dog racing by reading the dog's minds. He cheats at the lottery. Um, But the intention is all good. This is like he's... You know, he is not a white knight. He is uh, he is a guy who's just doing what has to be done to 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 save this this land that he doesn't even know where he is. Um, but I totally think Groundhog Day, nineteen ninety three. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that the scene where uh, Murray has started to get his redemption. And possibly even before that, you know, but where he's going around and he knows the timing of when the kid's about to fall out the tree and and all that sort of thing. I totally think that that must have been an influence on, on this yeah, or something absolutely. similar to it anyway. Mm. I still remember the first moments when that realization came to me uh, that this game was very uh, Groundhog Day inspired. This uh, When the, the old lady was getting mugged by the yeah. uh, spindly legged uh, thief. Creepy guy, uh, the creepy guy who the minister, yeah. minister of silly walks, and yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh, then uh, I got my um, uh, bomber's diary entry, and hey, this she's gonna get robbed uh, on the first day at exactly this time. I'll be there next yeah. time, you know. I'll stand close to her, mm. and um, but then there's the anxiety of thinking, do I have to do that every day? Or, yeah, <laughs> or, or or letting go of the idea. That's as I say, it's this letting go thing that i had i had the biggest problem with like thinking i can't do that every day i personally let let go of the idea uh, mm. and i also like to think that i'm not warping link back through time when i play the song of time to go back to the first day but i'm resetting uh the whole world uh back to uh, its original That's... state at the first of the uh, first three days 
that's it. Yeah, that's such a it's such a key difference to the way of, of looking at it. And and I and I, although I never fully made my peace with that, I certainly got closer to it. And you know, by the time I finished the game earlier today, I must have reset time. You know, dozens and dozens of times. Yeah. And by that point, it you know you'd almost become desensitized to it. <laughs> but I do I do stress that anyone who does play this who hasn't played it before, you have to let the time run out at least once just to see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I almost kind of wish that there was a uh, life is strange kind of twist ending to all of this. Like I won't, I won't spoil the ending to that, but there no, are, <laughs> there's an idea that some of the, uh, that there are consequences to even the reversible actions. Uh, so Mikhail, how, how do you feel generally? Are you somebody who enjoys playing under time pressure? What was it like? Uh, watch, you know, you're playing this with your kids watching, are they getting antsy about the, the time ticking by or are they not that yeah. conscious of it? Very much. My uh, my five year old son was all the time watching the clock down there. Right. And how many? How much time do you have left till the moon crashes? And they mm. also made me. Uh, just as a side note, they made me promise when I was playing not to go into first person mode and look up towards the grinning face of the moon. So we just <laughs> had to pretend like it wasn't there all the time. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, it, it really freaked them out. And they're they're not very squeamish kids or anything. Uh, sure. But it, it was something that uh, that really, yeah, it really uh, made a very big impression on them and um but playing playing this uh playing the game i had to come uh um yeah i had to come to accept that it's wasn't a traditional zelda game but it mm. wasn't a ge- it was a game about time management and you have to find some satisfaction uh in being very efficient in the way you spend your time in the game and getting things done in one, uh, getting as m- many things done in one loop as possible. And of course, on my second playthrough, I sort of had an idea of what needed to be done, so I could play it much more uh, efficiently from the from the beginning already. Yeah. Um, and I think that's great. That's what sets this game apart from the other, all the other Zelda, Zelda games. Um, so I do think it's a it's a great idea. It's just the the one tiny tiny niggling problem that I have with it that it's a Zelda game and it's a yeah. uh, Zelda games are about exploration and the constant yeah. time pressure really somehow even though I I really came to accept the game the way it was it's never really set 100% well with me that I was 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 pressured yeah totally agree um even you know even after having played it now for 40 hours or whatever on this playthrough plus a few other aborted attempts probably totaling about 30 or 40 hours I still don't really like the fact that when I reset time, I have to collect more arrows and yeah, more potions yeah, and definitely. more fairies. It's like, is was that really necessary? Is is was was Aonima and Co. Were they so insistent that we understand the impermanence of all things and accept them that we have to accept loss that? We can't just have those video game niceties that when I won something, I won it. I mean, I think that's, yeah. again, why why some people sort of really uh, 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 balk at, at the experience this game offers is because it, it unticks so many sort of boxes that we understand about the way video games make us feel, which is constantly growing, constantly growing. And, and this game takes that away over and over again. And not only that, it's also wildly inconsistent, right? So, like... Yeah. Numeric items that are numbered. Well, it, it is it is consistent in its own way, of course. Like items that you can carry a whole load of usually disappear. But still, yeah. why why can't you hold on to certain items and you can hold on yeah. to others? Uh, so it's it's very inconsistent uh, in that way. And how does the bank teller uh, 
how come you have got that many rupees based on the stamp on your hand even when you've gone back in time I, i've never worked that i've never squared that off does that make any sense or is it just me you're kind of like the guy from memento like if you want to really yeah. remember something then you tattoo it onto your own body and so since your body is the one thing that <laughs> remained permanent then yeah. you know you are essentially stealing from him every day because you haven't deposited that amount of money no. you're just kind yeah. of saying that like here's your stamp. You say that I'm owed this much. That means I can withdraw this from, you know, your, your storehouse. Right. And it's, it's banks. They're, they're, banks are magical places. They even in real life, <laughs> yeah. they, don't, they don't confine to real life logic. That's true. And That's they get true. their government bailouts. And so they're going to be just fine. Yeah. They're too big to fail. <laughs> yeah. He'll be, he'll be right. Uh, and besides, he's going to get crushed by the moon anyway. Uh, talking to that moon, you mentioned it there. I can't believe we got this far talking about all the creepy elements of the game. Uh, the moon comes up repeatedly in our three word reviews. Um, the moon again. Uh, yeah. Sinister uh, to say the least. Um, some might say terrifying. Now, there's a video by Matt Lees, who's somebody who I don't always get along with his stuff. Um, you know, come and come and go with it. Sometimes I like him, sometimes I don't. But this video, um, he really uh, expresses very clearly why he thinks that the remodel of the moon in the 3DS version was uh, kind of a negative thing. Because although it looks more, you know, it's higher resolution and, and it's kind of more artistically drawn, it's more actively aggressive. It looks like it's kind of, you know, it's snarling, it's baring its teeth. And in a way that kind of takes away that, that sort of fearsome ominous ambivalence that the uh, that the original moon had albeit with with fewer polygons it had this kind of it looked it what it, it wasn't benign exactly because it had these you know piercing eyes and, and all this sort of thing but it wasn't like i'm coming to eat you <laughs> it was just like yes i'm your inevitable demise deal with it i i thought that the moon <laughs> it kind of put me into a poetic mindset as, you know, the moon obviously doesn't really have a face and probably even in this world, it doesn't have a face. If I had to guess, I don't know. Do we ever get to see the moon in Ocarina of Time? Uh, Uh, Yes, it's just a little, a little glowing, you okay. know, earth-like lunar moon. Yeah. You know, silvery thing in the sky. And so I, I thought that the giving the moon a face is kind of like, you know, in those, um, you know, stories or poems when the sea is speaking back to the sailor or we have some sort of personification of the forest or whatever, like yeah. it, it represented something that didn't necessarily, uh, and, and so the fact that that was represented as a physical manifestation in this game world opened me up to the possibility that a lot of the other things that I was seeing were also more poetic than literal. And, and so, yeah, I, I didn't mind it. And I think actually the remastered moon looks really good because the, the, the first moon, like it has a nice design, but I think that it's technology kind of sold it a bit short. Uh, the mm-hmm. teeth texture doesn't look great. And the fact that they are now just like big, fatty, meaty teeth, uh, it kind of reminded me a lot of the jump from Conquer's Bad Fur Day to Conquer Life and Reloaded, you know, see a few issues back. But yeah, it's a, um, I thought it was a pretty major step up. I would argue that um, the the lower resolution and um, yeah, the, the, the less defined moon is actually a little bit uh, 
more unsettling and scary because it makes you wonder am i really seeing this face in here or, yeah. you know are these just shapes um it, it plays with your imagination a little bit more that's interesting yeah <laughs> Um, the dungeons then, so uh, this game is sort of renowned for having only four dungeons. You know, when we compare that to uh, how many did we have in Link to the Past? It was like 12 or 16 or something. It was, it was, a, it was a lot more, you know, the, the, the games, the Zelda games vary quite a lot in their dungeons, um, as we've discussed along the way and as we'll find out further. Um this to, to say it's only got four dungeons is slightly disingenuous because there are at least two or three other sort of key areas which, while they don't have all the you know the the rules and and uh, sort of accoutrement of a dungeon, keys and chests and so on, they are effectively extensive maze-like areas in which you have to perform you know quests to to get through. There's there, as I say, there's uh, there's a graveyard. There's um, there's uh, down a well, there's uh, a castle um, and yeah, uh, there's a pirate fortress. So so really, um, I, I, fe I felt like there was plenty. But speaking about the areas as a whole, both the four dungeons and those other areas, um, I'm not going to say I never used to walk through because that would be a lie. Um, again, uh, absolutely in an ideal world uh, where I, I didn't give myself deadlines to make podcasts uh i would have liked to say i'd solved everything in majora's mask on my on my own but i i did have a good crack at a lot of it uh the vast majority of it i i, I puzzled out by myself and got a you know a great big buzz from doing that playing the 3ds version again having looked at some of the changes the signposting is significantly more uh, blatant in the 3ds version and some puzzles have been fairly substantially simplified um, in the 3DS version as well. Not, not nothing, you know, not loads of them, but a few key ones. Like there's one later in the game where you um, you you come outside of uh, the stone tower and you shoot into a into a crystal to flip the whole thing upside down, which is great. Uh, but again, in the N64 original, Mikhail, you may remember, you have to come outside, um, put something on a plinth you have to use one of your your statues mm. of your of your characters and it's not like immediately apparent what you need to be doing at that point um but in in the 3ds version you basically you just shoot you just shoot an arrow that's it it's like it's it's um similarly one of the mazes in the uh in the uh, the final areas on the on the moon where there are mini dungeons based on the previous bosses the most maze like one of those is the the layout is completely different on the 3ds it's much much it's much less easy to get lost yeah. uh for instance but i'm happy with all the changes that they made because i never got that far in the old version um if they ever release the uh, the N64 version on a on virtual console for Wii U or NX or whatever, I'll happily buy it and give it another crack with the with the more obscure puzzles and so on. Um, but uh, yeah, overall my experience of the dungeons in this, I thought they were you know just as as ever really with Nintendo. Like you can you can talk about you know the slight variance in quality or perceived quality that you might get from them, but there are so many sort of just rooms in this where i was going ah oh, that's so clever or ah oh, yeah i see what i have to do now i like the fact that there aren't that many dungeons actually uh this game is more kind of side quest focused already which i think yeah. plays to its strengths a lot better and you know as i'm going through the zelda games like playing through all of them for the podcast right now i am kind of discovering that i don't like 
the Zelda dungeons as much as I like the just overall Zelda experience. Like mm. I, I don't hate the dungeons, but you know, over the course of the entire series, I like, like I actively enjoy playing maybe 80% of the dungeons and there's another 20% that I could just really do without. And so yeah. the fact that, you know, this had fewer dungeons is already kind of a plus in my book. So, you know, I like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it put its, uh, the majority of its challenges into more kind of manageable bite-sized pieces that it spread throughout its overworld, which encouraged, uh, integration or it integrated those stories with the stories of the characters that you'd be encountering instead of isolating everything in this, this single separated area. Uh, I, I think, you know, all of that is just really smart ideas that I'm uh, hoping that they dive back into in later Zeldas, which they did a yeah. little bit in Wind Waker. Actually, there was a little bit more kind of integration of the, the plot line into, uh, into the yeah. side quests and stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, there's a very strong sense that everything is connected in this uh, in this world of Termina. So, like all the all the personal stories are connected to the main plot and uh, and what's what's going on. Um, I'm kind of I would say I'm almost the other way around. I really love uh, my dungeons in uh, in yeah. a Zelda game. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to see that. Uh, this is this was a huge criticism, of course, of uh, Majora's Mask that uh, there's only four main dungeons in the game, mm. and uh, the meat seems to be more in the in the side quests. But then you get a lot of criticism after this game uh, with the more dungeon intensive Zelda's, like why are uh, the side quests so crappy, or why are there so so <laughs> so little significant uh, side yeah. quests? Uh, so it seems it's it's always one way or the other in the series. Mm. And I am starting to feel like, why can't we have everything? You know, why why can't we have everything in one Zelda game? Like <laughs> I a think huge, trying. huge quest yeah. with with lots mm. of dungeons and a lot of interesting side quests that are all connected to it. So that's that's something I'm waiting for. I do really like the uh, the fairies though, the wandering fairies. I don't remember what they are. The stray fairies is that stray, stray fairies? fairies. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Cool idea, but again, another stress for me. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. That's yeah. that's the main reason why I had a, a guide with me while doing the dungeons, mm. basically. Because... Too easy to miss one and then have to yeah. do the whole dungeon again. That's true. But it, it, they are optional and they give you something to go back to afterwards. Yeah, and, and I, I tend to like that kind of thing. They are very optional because you don't need any of the upgrades, really, apart yeah. from maybe the magic. Maybe. Yeah. I think the, the upgrades are not like a superficial reward they get kind of uh I, I felt like i needed them at least well they're major rewards in the sense that they do you know they do smooth your progress but for instance the one that um because i was running out of time to complete the game before recording um i had intended to get them all um so i did the first two dungeons but i was running out of time so i didn't do the uh third one and i think that's the one that gives you double health effectively um so it gives you the armored hearts now that's a pretty big deal however this game gives you six bottles if you do do your side quests seven on the 3ds so there's no boss in the game um unless you really really misunderstand its pattern that you're going to need 70 hearts or whatever to do so it's kind of yeah neither here nor there i suppose in that regard i wanted to enjoy the stray fairies because you know, it's cool. It's like an extra thing. So they're they're all hidden in different ways. Some of them are in bubbles. Some of them are in boxes. Some of them are invisible. You have to use the lens of truth. Um, but yeah, if you miss one, like in the second room, 
Um, now there is a mask which tells you if they're there, so that's the key: is to get the great fairy's yeah. mask on and keep putting it on and taking it off. But again, even that, the act of that, is a time-consuming act. Um, again, less so on the 3DS, but uh, but still, it becomes like oh, do I have to? And on the N64, it was more like I have to go in the menu again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, so, and and of what you mentioned already, again, it costs more time, and time is of yeah. the essence in this game. So you Absolutely. constantly feel the pressure, and uh, even with the song of inverted time, it's it it doesn't really take that much pressure off. Like Ryan said, I think it is well balanced. Um, I did actually have I haven't written them down, but there are, I do have a list of the actual the amounts of time that a day is. It's you know it's roughly a, a twenty four minute. It, was, it might be a bit more actually because the seconds are slightly long. I don't know. Anyway. It's a period of time, and it's uh, it's about right if you know what you're doing, or or if you're lucky. Um, but it's not it's quite easy to run out of time in the in the early in your early stages of the game, and that can be enough to put some people off. Um, I think it's also unusual for a Zelda kind of post um, link to the past that most of the significant gear items that actually gate the game aren't found in the dungeons apart from the arrows i think Mm. the hero's bow and the different arrow types are found in dungeons but a lot of the other stuff um masks and hook shots and things are found elsewhere Mm. so it it doesn't quite have the the you know what everyone says about zelda because it established this pattern through a number of games is you get the boomerang you go through that dungeon using the boomerang and then you kill the boss with the boomerang it's not quite that straightforward here by and large, there's a lot more mixing and matching overall, I would have said, especially once you factor in the other abilities of the masks, which, you know, arguably, you know, adds, not even arguably, really, it does add variety to your interactions with the world because they give you whole different, yeah, motion, locomotion, attacks and abilities. The Bomber's Notebook is a very clever thing. It comes back to the stuff we're already talking about. You've already mentioned it, Mikhail. Um now, the the only game I've really seen take this on in quite the same way since, and I'm not I'm sure this isn't the only one, but the only one that springs to mind is the uh, is the PS2 Curio Gregory Horror Show Soul Collector, which has a very similar sort of um, thing going on. Um, it's based on a cartoon, I believe, that I never saw, um, and it's now a bit of a rarity on PS2. But it was this Capcom game where it was it was kind of a survival horror, but it was cartoony, and it was all about it was kind of a bomber's notebook kind of thing where it was about working out the uh, routines of everyone in this, um, the nightly routines of everyone in this scary hotel. I, I really th- think the bomber's notebook in the original game was a fantastic idea. Now, the the 3DS version that Ryan and I have both played, um, it expands upon the original bomber's notebook significantly. Um, now you get given tons of clues about what might be happening um it fills in a lot more text it tells you what things are available on what days it shows you where people are on the map um whereas Nikhil you'll remember um the original is it gives you kind of you know the usual level of um late 90s early 2000s (laughs) sort of clue (laughs) um you have to. I think it's a yeah. game that you probably. I, I would imagine the N sixty four version. You have to write down a lot of stuff, whereas this three DS version, it kind of writes it down for you. Is that yeah. fair? That's that's very fair. It's uh, it's very cryptic and uh, it has its own sort of visual language with uh, with a legend. Yeah. You need to you need to 
yeah uh basically learn <laughs> what what exactly do all those symbols symbols mean in it like the, the different kind of mask icons and the, the ribbons and all sorts of stuff so yeah it's it was uh it was pretty tricky to to figure out where and when exactly you had to be uh be somewhere and uh what what the circumstances and the conditions were I really enjoyed this feature. Um, I remember thinking it was cool back on the N64, but that again, that obliqueness um, I found slightly off-putting. I didn't. I felt like I was floundering a bit. Whereas the 3DS version, you know, perhaps I'm lazy, perhaps I'm stupid, but I found the extra help it gave just made it a really compelling feature, a really um, enjoyable aspect of the game. Just filling it in was fun, you know, just getting new pictures and new bits of uh, tidbits of information, and then starting to actually act out on the sequences of events that you needed to do, I found it hugely rewarding um, and it integrated with the game beautifully and it integrated my feelings with the game world enormously as well because as well as just listening to, you know, going up to people and hit, and flicking through their text boxes, this actually fleshes out what what they are, who they are, what they do. I can imagine that uh, because uh, when I played uh, the original, I think I um, used it um, quite sparingly the, bo- the no- notebook by itself after a while I was just going by my own memories of what would wow. happen on which day <laughs> so I yeah. was I, I think I yeah I did play the game um, uh, I did play it all the way through in a very short time span mm. so I was pretty much into it and I could remember what was going on where but imagine just uh, putting the game down for a couple of weeks or months and then returning to it yeah, it's a handy feature. I, I saw it as something pretty similar to the way that like Skyrim would keep track of the quests that you were involved in. Yeah, or, uh, yeah, it's like a quest log. Yeah, the way that like Hitman would catalog the different opportunities that you've overheard and translate those into uh, little hints as to this is what you have to do next. So um, yeah, I, I didn't see it as necessarily something that I was, uh, you know, unaccustomed to seeing in games, but it did strike me as like, oh, this feels a little early for a feature like this. Like it felt like it was kind of trailblazing in that way, getting to the the punch first. And atypical of Zelda as well. A quest log in a Zelda game isn't something that's been seen before or since really. Was Deus Ex out at this point? Because that that probably did a pretty similar thing. Uh, maybe uh, some of those kind of PC year, uh, Morrowind and stuff like that. The, those were probably yeah. around the same time. That was a period. bit later. Okay. Morrowind was a bit later. All right. I think Deus Ex was uh, was just about like a couple of months before that. I think. Okay. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. yeah. So probably no influence. But but yes. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It feels like a quest log. But whereas I would say what I tended to end up doing, and again, this is me. This is not. A criticism of the game as such but with games like Skyrim or yeah the Elder Scrolls games or Dragon Age or something like that I would often end up just um, kind of going to the place marked on the map and doing you know interact in whatever way interact is to tick it off whereas in Majora's Mask I got even though you know it's this it's this less verbose simplistically written game compared to something like Dragon Age I felt more connection with what I was actually doing it wasn't just like you know, for me, it wasn't just like tick off the quest. It was like, and now I'm reuniting these people or now I'm saving this woman's ranch from the aliens or, you know, th- that sort of thing. It was it felt more personal than just a big, long list of tickable quests that result in experience points or um, or financial reward. Partly because, of course, in Zelda, um, OK, so you get a heart piece 
for lots of them, which is effectively experience points in any other game. Um, but oftentimes in Majora's Mask, you actually get a mask or, you know, or something of genuine game-changing use, you know, so not just, you know, some more money for your coffers kind of thing. That's that's actually the rarest kind of pickup unless you're just going, going for a, a, a random chest down a hole or something like that. We must talk about Cafe and Andrew because I know for a lot of people this is sort of the heart of the game. Um, it's this, uh, as we've already mentioned, long and... Um, complicated quest i suppose quest line um tortuous some might say again especially on the n64 again one of the, the huge key differences with the 3ds version is the ability to stop time on the hour at any hour you wish uh whereas in the n64 version particularly in this quest you have to wait for things to happen you can speed up time can't you but uh but you can't just move a slider and say, right, I want to be here at six o'clock. Boom, there I am. Um, so Cafe and Andrew, yes, it tells that this is the the, the, the wedding quest. The, these are a, a couple uh, doomed but due to be wed on the day after the apocalypse. Did you go for this one, Ryan? Because I'm going to admit I've never actually completed this myself. Yeah, I had to use walkthroughs for this because, you know, I had a couple of uh, points where I got hung up. But yeah, it's... Uh, I, I eventually ended up getting all the masks at the end of the game because I wanted that that fierce deity mm -hmm. mask. So yeah, went for ah, it. Ah, yes. Okay. Disc, disc, disc. You guys. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just saying. Playing it wrong, I know. No, you're not, you're not playing, <laughs> playing it wrong because <laughs> I, just, I, I just wanted to tease you. But I did exactly the same back in uh, 2000 when I played through the game. For this quest, I actually because I always already was sinning with the using the guides for the stray fairies in the dungeon, like. I, I admit that I had to. I peeked into it a couple of times during the Cafe and Andrew side quest as well. Like I don't think I just mapped out the whole thing via the, the guide, but I definitely yeah. browsed through some stuff when I was uh, feeling like I when I felt like I was getting stuck. Again, there are a few little tweaks as well as the mechan mechanical ones I just mentioned. There are a few little changes to various bombers notebook quests uh, in in the new version um, to you know, make things slightly less painful. And, and in some cases, the rewards for different quests have actually been swapped around and things like that. Yeah. It's been you know it's kind of remixed. Um, the bosses, uh, the dungeon bosses, I feel are different to other Zelda games in that they're designed to be replayable um, because there are reasons for them to be easily beatable. I don't just mean hmm. they are replayable in the sense of you go back to the dungeon entrance once you've won, uh, once you've beaten them once and you can refight them because that's a thing. Um, but also as in once you know what to do with each of the four regular bosses, uh, you can take them down in, in double quick time. I never did. I don't think I did any of them more than three times. Um, but it wasn't hugely onerous to go back to them. Um, they were each sort of uh, relatively fun. Again, these have been substantially remixed, particularly bosses three and four compared to the N64 games. So Mikhail's experience may have been slightly more challenging. Um, they've been divided up into uh, sort of obviously segmented fights. Um, the big fish, for example, whatever he's called. Georg. Georg, that's yeah. it, from uh, from Scandinavia. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, his or her fight uh, is 
a specific two-segment fight with a cutscene in the middle on the 3DS, but it was just a, 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 an arena battle in the original. Is that right, I think? Yeah. Um, and similarly with the uh, Twin Mold, the, 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 the two snakes, that's been, again, substantially remixed um, to the point that in the original game, and this is a good example of how the, the original game was a bit more um, oblique in its clues, uh, there was a there's a giant's mask that you get um, and all it says on the description is you can use it in a certain room in red um, and you do get a clue in that fight on the N64 uh, Tattle says wouldn't it be good if you were the same size as this thing or, or something along those lines um, whereas in the 3DS remake uh, halfway through the battle a chest appears and it has the giant's mask in it and it's fairly obvious what you need to do from that point on. So stuff like that. Again, I know there will be purists out there who think this is appalling, but I think um, anyone who who thinks that should probably just be pleased that a few million more people have actually got to the later stages of Majora's Mask um, and seen, you know, even if it, even if they might consider it a slightly diluted experience. Um, boss talk, folks. Those snakes, like <laughs> turning into a giant and. Uh, just kind of stomping around those those flying sandworm things like that's mm. that's, that's such a fun <laughs> such a weird experience like it's always neat to have something that changes the scale of the battle that's happening uh, it's kind of like the reverse shadow of the colossus in that way mm. yeah. and then there's the uh, mechanical ox god Mm. Uh, Goat, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's the thing about the Zelda games. Huh? There's no voice acting in it, so you're never quite sure how to pronounce no. stuff. So, say it how you like, but yeah, that's like yeah. a Mario Kart almost, or something. Yeah, or like, yeah. Um, I, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed that boss fight. Actually, it's very different mm. from any other boss fight in any other Zelda game. So you just race after the thing and just continue to ram it. And uh, reminded me of one of the fights in Sonic Adventure Two. But it's it's probably a little bit Ouch. more obscure. Ref- no, nothing, yeah. nothing bad about that. <laughs> yeah. well, the, the whole Goron roll thing is very Sonic-like, anyway. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Can't yeah. can't argue with that, really. Yeah, Sonic Adventure yeah. Two was the was the year after this, so who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah, again, another remix fact: the um, the goat fight uh, is uh, when you knock goat down on the 3ds, a big bulging eye pops out of its back. So you can shoot it from afar with the, um, with the bow and arrow rather than having to continue to ram it stuff like that, you know, and the final boss, um, I literally did this this afternoon, saw it for the first time ever. Um, after you, you call in, you, you go to the moon, um, sorry, you go to the clock tower on the, on a final night with six hours to go as the, as the tower opens up. And um, you can do this at any point, of course. It's a bit like uh, Chrono Trigger or something in, in, in that respect. Um, but here you need to have uh, beaten the four dungeon bosses and got the four masks. Uh, you summon in the four giants with the Oath to Order. Um, Skull Kid is relinquished as a puppet by Majora's Mask, which now has uh, agency and energy of its own. And uh, you teleport up to the moon which is surprising uh when you first arrive there because it's this very peaceful pastoral scene the field and a tree and little kids skipping around and the kids skipping around have the masks of the bosses on now this is the point where if you've collected many many masks you can go into these mini many uh mini dungeons um and you have to do this to get the fierce deity mask i think to which will definitely help you in the final 
fight. So I didn't do this because I was running out of time. This was literally a few hours ago. So I ended up doing the final boss, uh, you know, naked, as it were. Wow. Uh, so you, you actually had to learn the uh, the patterns. and uh, Yeah, and, so his fierce deity kind of is the kill button is it yeah it's you, you you just start wailing on him you just ignore everything he does and oh, okay. uh, he dies very quickly all through his various stages that seems like a fair reward for the uh for the many many hoops you had to jump yeah. through to get yeah. masks yeah, yeah it's yeah. very cathartic i really like this the final boss design like it, yeah. it kind of reminds yeah. me of of john carpenter's the thing or um, uh, yeah yeah just the fact that it's this non-human presence that doesn't really understand human form necessarily but kind of just you know yeah. wrangles its, its presence in such a way that roughly approximates humanity and it also kind of reminds me of uh the soul edge from soul caliber games right mm. yes yeah. yeah yeah i see what you mean yeah it's um it's got i mean it's got three it's got these three things the first one's you know fairly standard it's scary because it's majora's mask with a load of sort of viney hairy tendrils coming out of the back of it but then it goes into this rather comical maniacal dancing sequence um mm. which is yeah both comical and creepy by equal turns uh it's doing moonwalking and pirouetting and all sorts of things and then the final form is a, perhaps a more standard kind of you know more bulky rage-like model but it has these tendrils these tentacles which are really quite annoying when you're playing it as i was but i had six bottles full of fairies so i wasn't overly concerned if you vanquish uh, Majora, you get to see the dawn of a new day and and the world continues. And as usual, there are sort of, as the credits roll, there are cameos. Um, you get to see some sort of more little insights into the existence of the people who you've now saved, such as like the Deku butler talking to the, the gnarled little root of the tree that you spoke to at the start of the game. I suspect mm. there's some significance there that I'm not understanding. Um, and a few other things like that, different relationships that you might not have picked up on. The thing about the Deku Butler, one of the I guess theories about what that's about is that the right. Deku Butler was complaining earlier in the game that his son had wandered away and that we look like that's his right. son. And so the idea is that that was uh, his son and the son had died, death. which is why we got the mask, because all of the masks came from uh, folks who had died. And so seeing him mm. having that realization of like, oh, of here course. he is, is, is kind of a heartbreaking moment, especially to be playing over, you know, essentially the end credits. And of I don't course. think that's a, that's not a far-fetched theory at all. I think that makes a I think whole that, lot of yeah. sense. Spot on. Yeah. Um, Tattle even says right at the start, uh, it's got a sad face just like you or something like that. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. Yeah, so another grim thing. Even 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 in the happy end of Majora's Mask, um, people are still dying. Um, but there is this theory, uh, which was uh, brought to my attention by one of our forumites, I think. Uh, apologies for not crediting. Um, and again, this is a theory which, uh, having looked into it, makes absolutely perfect sense. Uh, this is the theory that the entire story of Majora's Mask is... Um, is modelled around the Kublam-Ross uh, grief um, sequence or, or uh, uh, the stages of grief, which um, I'm sure Ryan's probably done something about this within his <laughs> psychology degree. Mm -hmm. um, the dabda of uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. And um, if you compare these uh, emotions to the response to the impending apocalypse with... Uh, the chief character's 
from each of the areas, you'll find that um, the sequence that you go through goes through that. Um, so the people in Clock Town are in denial. Um, the Deku King is angry and so on and so forth. Um, amazing. Like I did, uh, to, until today, I always had my pet theory, as I mentioned earlier, about Aonima's anxiety and, and, and dread. But this uh, is like a whole another level. And the theory is that actually Link is dead from the start, or at least from very near the start. Um, it is pointed out, of course, that he falls down a massive black pit to a place where there's a moon on the ground in a, in a town. Like he's, he's in limbo. And like his quest is to get out of 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 uh, purgatory and to to get to whatever's next uh, in in whatever belief set we're operating in. Uh, how do you how do you two feel about this uh, theory? Yeah, um, I don't. I I tend to believe it. Like I tend to think that this is a good way to read the game, especially because it uh, smooths over a lot of the kind of logical inconsistencies. Um, mm. such as like the reusing of characters and the um, kind of Dark Souls 2 like architecture of the place having a moon underground and you know stuff like that yeah but um, I, I think it's more of a kind of thematic mooring rather than I, I think they are definitely playing with these ideas of of death and almost every NPC questline has something to do with death and mourning a death or, you know, trying to prevent a death or something like that. And so that definitely is a, a theme that runs throughout um, as to what the literal meaning of it is and whether this should be, you know, included in the Hyrule Historia as this is definitely <clears throat> what happens when Link falls. Like, I, I think that's kind of unimportant, especially since, you know, I mentioned earlier that so much of this is rooted in very poetic imagery and language. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's definitely where they're coming from on this one. Yeah, Mikhail? I I agree. It's a it's a very well argued theory. It makes a lot of sense as well. But I think I I just have a hard time believing that anything in this game is really mapped out in detail in some secret uh, script somewhere. So I th I think. Do it, you? Yeah, oh. I, th I think I think it's. Uh, a lot, a lot of, a lot of symbolism in the game. A, a lot of um, hints are they're not uh, outlined explicitly uh, for a mm -hmm. reason, and they are meant to inspire a lot of thought and uh, interpretation, and, and not in a mean-spirited way or yeah. uh, pull, mm -hmm. pulling the player's legs or anything like that. What what you said in the beginning is very interesting about uh, Aonuma putting his own um, anxieties and, and fears in the game. Um, so I'm, of course, it's. I, I think there, there's probably a lot of subconscious things uh, playing in the background. But it's very telling that more than any other game in the in the series, this one inspires a lot of theories and theorizing, and a lot of that, a lot of the theories are very fascinating to read and uh, and very interesting. Definitely. Yeah, one of the things that uh, Mikiel actually posted on our or mentioned in our green room before recording was an allusion to the uh, biblical and I guess tyrannic is that uh, of the Torah is that the way to I don't know how to how to um, conjugate that but the story of the mm. Tower of Babel from mm -hmm. uh, you know religion um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and how well that plays into the like an allegory for the uh, stone temple that you ascend at the end of the game and yeah. that 
I think just reading all of that, uh, it's it's posted on zeldauniverse.net, and it's definitely worth looking into. The name of the mm. article is The Message of Majora's Mask, uh, if you want to look at it on your own time. But I, it, it did really sit nicely with a lot of the observations that I had been making about the game myself as I was playing it, uh, especially when contrasting it to Ocarina of Time and even uh, A Link to the Past before it in that Ocarina of Time feels like a glorious kingdom whose power obviously comes from the goddesses and you know they are somewhat of a holy state so to speak like they uh they present the the symbol of the triforce all over the place and that's obviously the symbol of the three goddesses and they govern openly under the rule or at least the influence of the goddesses and um even if it's not overtly worshipped necessarily, the fact that there are so many buildings that are referred to as temples and um, a lot of the imagery that you see when you walk into the Temple of Time is very reminiscent of, uh, you know, Catholicism and um, and real-life religious imagery. Um, the fact that by... Uh, to contrast that, the land of Termina feels fiercely atheistic in the way that, you know, there is not a lot of mention of the goddesses and really mm. there's the, um, any kind of religious reverence tends to center around actual physical objects and beings that exist within that world. Like the, the four giants are yeah. almost de- deific a little bit. The, uh, the masks can almost be read as like the spirits of, uh, kind of like demon or jinn. Um, however, you know, whatever yeah. kind of religious correlates you choose to compare them to, like everything is, I guess, infused with its own power and kind of the power of the earth, the power of the land, the power of the the spirits, rather than uh, these these goddesses. And part of the reason why you know maybe termina is the way it is is because they don't have that connection to uh you know eternally benevolent beings like you would get from a deity like they don't have that sense of of hope that somebody is looking out for them they don't have that sense of of purpose like everything is being written and so Mm -hmm. all this grappling with death i think is is um you know just like in real life a much stronger battle i think for atheist than Mm. it is for religious people because you know religious people oftentimes think like oh well you know i'm taken care of so i'm going to a better place yeah 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 Yeah. maybe maybe this is maybe that's another anxiety onima was having Mm. you know the the the, um you know he's probably brought up shinto or something i don't know but um but maybe you know like like any thinking person at some point he's gone hang on a minute (laughs) you know if he was religious up to the age of 28 or whatever he was at this point maybe he started to think well maybe maybe there is maybe there is nothing i mean ocarina is is there's full of pious people isn't it they're they're all you know there's there's the gods are 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 everything in in many of the previous zelda games and then within japan especially you know they have such a strong um in a multi-religious you know within Mm. that very small space there's that saying that and uh i apologize if i'm getting it wrong but like in japan you are born a shinto or in a uh, a Christian when you're an adult and then mm. you die a Buddhist or some combination <laughs> of, of that. But the idea of yeah. in a multi-religious and all these religions have different ideas of, you mm. know, what happens 
afterwards and you know, all of that. It's very yeah. interesting. There's no pure, there's no, there's no such thing as a kind of pure religion anymore anyway, because they've mm. all been, you know, so, so, um, you know, uh, the streams have been crossed so much over, over the centuries that we're, you know, anyone who's religious is kind of taking their favorite, yeah. uh, effectively taking, you know, their favorite bits from what they want to believe. Which I think actually plays into some of the Zelda games and the way that the goddesses are represented in, um, you know, everything does kind of feel like a copy of a copy throughout Ocarina of Time and uh, Twilight Princess, I think, plays with some of those corruption of the religious text type themes as well under the surface. So another reading of uh, of Majora's Mask could be yeah. uh, that uh, it's uh, Aonuma struggling with his uh, coming to face with his own mortality and Termina, yeah, Terminal, absolutely. the end of absolutely. things are things uh you know, um, things are yeah. fi- finite instead of uh, infinite or cy- cyclical. Absolutely, mm. yeah, and that that ties in with yeah with millennial angst and general anxiety and the fear of climate change and yeah it 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 all kind of makes sense. But yeah, it's you know it's this is the wonderful thing when you know for me when art is at its best, whether it's whether it's a painting, a film, a book, or 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 in this case a video game of um, when it's got a real you know something that resonates um emotionally philosophically uh, that's that's the kind of thing that i want really want to connect with um and a lot of games certainly you know a massive game from a massive studio like this you wouldn't normally expect there to be so much going on bringing things crashing back down to earth i do just like to mention <laughs> the uh, uh that's another awful pun i didn't mean it um i do like to mention the, uh, the speed a lot of people lost their lives <laughs> <laughs> over and over again um the speed running records are always worth a laugh mm. uh, for those of us who spent 40 hours completing about um like 75 to 80 percent of the game um because so the average time to beat according to time to beat.com i think it is uh how long to beat.com sorry um uh, for for an any percent completion, so just mainlining and doing what you need to do to get it done, is about twenty hours. The current world record is one hour and twenty five minutes. Um, I don't know how much glitching that's using. I imagine a fair amount, um, but uh, it is possible for somebody, uh, and it has been done uh, by a human being, to complete the game one hundred percent in twenty two seconds less than five hours so i thought you were going um, to say 22 seconds and thought no that's uh, no okay (laughs) there are games that have uh, that have those sorts of glitches Mm -hmm. but uh majora's mask clearly isn't one of those but yeah so it is possible to do everything in under five hours so anyone who anyone who thinks oh well i don't want to keep doing it over and over again you can bet that person didn't (laughs) or actually more more correctly they did over and over and over and over again until they knew how to do it so that they didn't have to do it over and over again anymore. Yeah. More than anyone else. Yeah. And exactly. probably with a dance pad or something. Um, we got an absolute shed load of <laughs> uh, amazing correspondence for this podcast. Yes, so there really is too much for us to feature. In fact, at this stage of the podcast, we've already uh, heard from a few people, um, uh, but we've got so much excellent stuff. There's some great theories coming up, some opinions, varied opinions, um, but uh, we uh, do not want to take up more of your podcast time than two hours. So what we'll do is we're going to put this uh, excellent swathe of correspondence over on our YouTube channel canerince.com slash youtube please subscribe 
as I always ask you to do. Um, the views on our videos there are minuscule compared to our podcast downloads. I don't mind admitting that. We'd really like it um, if we could get a whole load more subscribers. So if you like what we do um, on the podcast, do go over to the YouTube channel. And there's more of that sort of thing, including this, uh, what will be an extra, uh, an extra to this very podcast. Think of it as uh, Majora's Mask, Cana Rinse Plus. And there's some really excellent stuff here. And so we want to encourage people to go and check it out because this is all coming from the community, people who are are not us. And so you'll get a lot of different opinions and a lot of uh, different perspectives, which is wonderful. And so we, we don't want to make it sound like we're cutting anybody out, but we just want to give them a little bit more room to breathe. Well said, Ryan. Yeah, perfectly put. And now in brief, because it's all we have time for uh, on this two-hour podcast, our three-word reviews from Twitter. Follow us at Kane and Rince. I will start with Jucifer, who says, Alice in Wonderland? Luca Lago, Moon and Gloom. Eric Jones, Smashing Crashing Moon. Cliff Dark Insight, interesting surname, says, Scary Moon Face. Maya Lisa, that moon though. Luke Moore, Zelda on drugs. I can't believe we've got to issue 222 of the podcast, and that's our first X on drugs three-word <laughs> review. <laughs> uh, I, I think it is, though. I, I, I think that's literally the first one. Well done, Luke. Uh, Martin Charlton says, watch the clock. Katatanik Nali, haunting Donald Shift. Not a rookie, most memorable side quest. Paul Tate says, guys, this game. Jack Burton says, richest series narrative. Okay, now we tried very hard uh, to organise this podcast so that uh, first Josh was supposed to be on it, but uh, his work sent him out of the country. So uh, we got rid of him. And then we tried to rearrange it so that he could be on it. That didn't work. So we tried to rearrange it so that Leah Haydu could be on it, as she's been on some of the other Zelda podcasts. And we couldn't manage that either. So we've ended up reverting to the original recording date with uh, three quarters of the original panel. Um, but in an unusual move, and because uh, because she's great, and also I feel she has an opinion that is relevant to a good portion of people who have played this game, uh, here's a segment of Leah summarising uh, her Majora's Mask experience. In theory, I love Majora's Mask. I think it's wonderful that Nintendo, undoubtedly deterred somewhat by the less-than-stellar reception garnered by Zelda 2, finally decided once again to go out on the proverbial limb and do something that didn't adhere to their normal formula. I love that it's different. I love that it's weird. I love that there's nothing else in the series quite like it. But I hated playing it. I'm not sure why this setup gave me such difficulty. The concept of learning from your experience to perfect your efforts is appealing to me. It's part of why I like Demon Souls and Dark Souls so much. And I really didn't want to like it. It gets a lot of bad press for being as comparatively odd as it is, but the people who like it really like it. For some, it's their favorite of the series. I wanted to be among them. I wanted that transcendental experience and to be a part of that club. I, I wanted to see what they saw. I just couldn't. It was the pressure, I think. It was just too much. I'm prone to anxiety as it is, and it turned out that I always felt tense as I was playing, always acutely conscious of the fact that if I missed something at a particular time of day in the cycle, or, heaven forbid, ran out of time completely, I might end up doing a lot of things over again. I was even playing with a guide, and I still felt that I could potentially mess up all too easily. 
That's sort of supposed to be the point, though, isn't it? Learning through repetition and refinement is all well and good, but what should really light a fire under you is that if you don't save this place, that frankly horrifying-looking moon is going to crash down and obliterate everything. You and everyone you know, everyone who surrounds you and who you might even have befriended, will die. It's supposed to be scary. Maybe I just wanted more of what I already knew I liked, actually. For as much as I and many others praise ingenuity and originality, sometimes slipping back into a nice, comfortable Hyrule is what I want. If Majora's Mask hadn't been a Zelda game, I doubt I ever would have played it, but paradoxically that's also what drove me away from it. I knew it was different, but somehow I was also expecting something that was the same. Would that have been different had I played Majora much earlier, say before Wind Waker or Twilight Princess? If I hadn't yet formed such a solid Zelda template in my head, would my expectations and thus my opinion of my experience be improved? Maybe. Maybe not. So, no, I won't be playing Majora's Mask again. I'm glad it exists, though, even if it's not necessarily for me. Even if I don't actually want to play it myself, I want it to be there for the people who do. So, me next, summarising my Majora's Mask experience. And what I wanted to say is that I actually agree with everything Leah says. Uh, the difference is that I don't, didn't hate playing it. I admitted right at the start I bounced off the game a couple of times. Uh, we've heard many anecdotal pieces from people saying similar things about the time pressure, the three-day cycle, the repetition. I agree with all that. I do find it, it engenders anxiety. I am a sufferer. I have, I have generalised anxiety disorder. I don't need video games to do that to me. Um, even games with you know, things that might say, you know, scare me like a survival horror. Um, they do go some way to making me anxious, but they still have that uh, constant sort of satisfaction of a little bit of progress being earned, a little bit, you know, getting a little bit further into that Silent Hill dungeon or, or whatever, not having to do things over and over again. And plus, for me, the way that Majora's Mask is presented with all those, um, all that underlying stuff that we've already talked about, about existentialism and um, you know, accepting loss and coming to terms with death and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, speaks to me universally. I'm sure it speaks to a lot of people, but the way it's presented as well, because I love the visuals. I love the way that Link interacts with the world and I love the soundtrack so much um, that it speaks to me a lot. So, yes, this game does make me anxious. It frustrates me at times, but I think it's quite an intricate work of uh some majesty um i really just found myself wanting to play this so much um over the last few weeks uh just always loving getting immersed in it sitting for many many hours at a stretch playing it which is not something uh, i find so easy to do these days for various reasons and uh just yeah just loving being thoroughly immersed in that world even with its frustrating and upsetting uh constant cycle uh i'm so pleased that i've now seen it to the end although there's still a little bit more to do to to have really uh polished everything off but um i would say that if anyone played the n64 version back in the day or at some stage since on virtual console or whatever but found things like not being able to manipulate the time or save your game as whenever you want to be the off-putting factors try again with the 3ds version because not only does it look stunning? Um, it's an absolutely beautiful game. It, it, it's a considerably 
greater upgrade on the original than Ocarina of Time 3D, which is a nice looking game in itself. Um, they did so much to smooth out the experience. As I say, I know there are some purists who will swear by the original and that's absolutely fine for them. But for a lot of people, I think the 3DS version will do the things to make playing through Majora's Mask and seeing all of its magic, all of its incredible density and myriad side quests, ridiculous amount of things to do. Um, it will make it that much more accessible. So yes, please do play the 3DS version of The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. If I could only play three game series or franchises and have to would have to forget everything else, mm. uh, The Legend of Zelda series would be one of them. And um, Majora's Mask, uh, I rank very highly in that series. Um, I do feel like playing it the way I did uh, actually cancelling a guide uh, from time to time I robbed myself uh, of many great experiences that I could have had by trying to figure out things by myself the uh, Andrew and Cafe side quest being one of them and I think that that uh, leads back to my pain point uh, with the game I love the audiovisual design I love the thematics uh, everything everything around it I in a Zelda game I want to be able to mess around and ex explore freely and even with all its conveniences the song of inverted time it, I still can't escape that nagging sense of a clock ticking down hmm. in the end I don't think that's really a fault of the game uh, uh, itself I think I, I placed uh, the, the fault more on my own side as, uh, as my own uh, shortcomings as a player and um, yeah so the game, the game has my greatest uh, greatest respects and I love it, just not as much as the likes of Link's Awakening, um, A Link to the Past, and Ocarina of Time. I do recommend giving the 3DS version a go, though. Did I mention that? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, yeah. Let's conclude with Ryan. Majora's Mask, I think, is a pretty significant step forward for the Zelda series, and one that they haven't... Well whether or not they've really followed it up in any meaningful way. Like I, I like that Majora's Mask was an episode that just took place in the world of Zelda. And, you know, it used Link as a Zelda character and a few familiar faces playing cameos, kind of almost as like digital actors. Um, but just the fact that it was so different, so disconnected from the main storyline, it didn't feel like it had to be as grand of an adventure as Ocarina of Time or something like that made it feel more like a using the established Zelda franchise to tell its own story and have something uh, have a completely different tone like a like how the Dark Knight trilogy and the 1966 Adam West Batman film both exist within the Batman <laughs> canon and there are very different stories that are told using the same characters as a way of um you know, just these are strong conventions that have been established and why not use those to tell a really creative story? And that's kind of how I view Majora's Mask. Um, I, I really connect with a lot of the themes, the aesthetics, the way, the, a lot of the choices that were made in the game. But I think I'm discovering as I'm playing through more of these, I don't really love the 3D Zelda games that much. Like all of the... Uh, 
the methods of traversal and some of the ways that the puzzles are communicated and some of the uh, just extra legwork that you have to do to get around the world. It's not as, I guess, relaxing and rewarding an experience for me as other types of games. I, I don't dislike uh, dislike them, but you know, I think my affection for Majora's Mask stems f- uh, far more from the story being told and the the themes that are being played off of and just the the deviation from the main Zelda formula and kind of the negative space that it leaves in between what's expected and what was delivered like all of that is so fascinating and the fact that the game that's played on top of it I found to be a little stressful and and especially difficult for me because I kind of made a, a poor choice of setting it down for a few months and then coming back to it afterwards and forgetting everything, which is my own fault. But um, yeah, I, I'd say that if I just had to uh, judge it and recommend it based on gameplay, I'd say, you know, it's not the strongest 3D Zelda game. It's uh, It's not the strongest gaming experience as far as the gameplay goes, but as far as you know, if you want to have a memorable experience and something that'll leave you thinking, um, then yeah, absolutely. Majora's Mask has a lot of depth there. It has a lot of real thematic resonance. And for that reason, it is probably my favorite Zelda game, even though I don't enjoy playing it and probably would not go back to it again. But it's one of those really, really difficult to describe in between places. Like I love what it's doing and I love that it exists, but I think I'm content with my experience with it so far. And if I decided to go back, it might be through like watching a let's play or, you know, something that's not quite as demanding of me, the player, but, um, now there is some, there's some really strong stuff in there. And, um, you know, I, I do not regret for a second buying the collector's edition of this game and buying the 3DS with it branded on it because I think it has some uh, very, very striking stuff in it. So it's a big thumbs up, I'd say, it, with, with some caveats. But yeah, overall, positive feelings. Interesting. Sort of, yeah, sort of sums it all up nicely, I think. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, thanks, everyone. Uh, for listening. Uh, thanks to Nikhil and Ryan for being on the panel with me, Leon Cox. Thank you to our community correspondents, of course. Thank you to Leah. And uh, I will tell you now that next time in issue 223, it's Tights Down for Titanfall. Mm-hmm.